Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Down in the jungle where nobody goes, there's a great big stegodon trampling its foes. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show and a very happy new year to everybody who is listening. I know it's a little bit late, I, at least here in the Netherlands the convention is that you stop saying happy new year after say uh, the first week of January. But um, since we did not do a show last week uh, or the week before... I thought I'd take this opportunity to wish you all a very happy new year. One of the things, uh, one of the reasons why we are a little bit later with this show is because Nathan and I have been trying to get our schedules lined up to do a recording. Sadly, that hasn't worked out yet, so uh, that's why I'm going to do a solo episode now. We will hopefully get together at some point in the near future and then we can uh, maybe discuss some plans we have for this year. Today I wanted to... I, I was thinking, well, let's do a little bit with that New Year theme. And I was thinking, what what can I do with this? Because I also want to do a deep dive and the... The, the celebration of uh, New Year's Eve in the Netherlands, it's called Out and New, which translates to Old and New, referring, of course, to the old year and the new year. And this uh, basically includes uh, New Year's Eve, but also uh, New Year's Day. So that whole uh, December 31st, basically... Uh, the, starting uh, probably on the December 31st, the day itself, and and continuing well into the early hours of January 1st. That's all taken together as uh, old and new. Now, in Warhammer, we also have uh, something that's both old and new. And I was thinking of, we have the race of the Lizardmen, who were the first ones that were made by the old ones. However, the Lizardmen, even though they were the first, they still managed to live in what is called the New World, because, well, that's been discovered later, of course. So, old and new, the old ones, the, the spawns of the old ones, and a new, the new world, coming together in the Lizardmen. And from there, it was only a short leap to think about what unit I wanted to discuss with you today, which is the Stegodon. Now, ever since I was a little boy, I have been fascinated with dinosaurs. When I was young, I had a lot of books about dinosaurs, a lot of those plastic toy dinosaurs. Uh, it was in my youth, when I was about seven years old, that Jurassic Park came out. And I'm talking about the uh, first Jurassic Park movie. So I collected all the toys that went with that as well. And uh, that's really fun because my, uh, my two little girls can play with those now. And... 
that fascination for dinosaurs, it has waxed and waned a little bit over the years, but it has never fully gone away. And just to show you that this love of dinosaurs has never fully gone away, I want to share a little bit about an experience I had in 2018. I was just married and I had the opportunity to go through the US for an entire month to go to a, a dinosaur excavation. This was a really fun experience and not only fun but also very educational. We went to Texas because the university that organized this excavation is in Texas. From there we drove with vans to Wyoming and in Wyoming you have uh, some ranches that are that have exposed dinosaur layers so we were digging in the upper cretaceous for the, uh, the the people who are familiar with those terms and what we did was uh, not just we we started digging and see whatever we came across but whenever you found something uh, a bone or a tooth you had to wait for someone with a GPS device to come over. They then logged that bone and the bones were then all catalogued and numbered and taken out and wrapped carefully. And then later on, uh, this was for one month, so for the rest of the year, the other students could then clean the bones and uh, catalog them, take three-dimensional images of them and put all of them together so that you have a uh, dinosaur bone field and excavation without all the sand. You can reconstruct that with the GPS data and you can go through that in uh, 3D and that will give paleontologists an idea of what happened and how did these bones get there? Uh, how did this all form? Very interesting and I'm really grateful to have been able to be a part of that uh, expedition. This is an ongoing ongoing excavation that's... It started, I believe, around the turn of the century and it, it's around, uh, I think, almost 25 years now that they've been doing this. And I'm still on the mailing list. I never get to go again, probably because of, uh, well, it's quite an investment in time and money and not something that you can do with young children. I felt sorry leaving my uh, new wife at home for a month, home alone, let alone leaving her home alone with two kids that have very well uh, learned how to say no and how to not listen to their parents, which I think is something that all kids do, especially uh, at least if I look at the problems other parents are having. And just in case you didn't know that, uh, the my kids have, have basically influenced me into doing the opening for this. Um, I usually put on some music for them or some... Uh, YouTube videos, YouTube kids videos, and sometimes they like to listen to music or watch other shows. And one of the songs that comes up occasionally is Down in the Jungle. So for those of you who don't have kids, uh, please don't go check it out because it will linger in your brain for the rest of the year, probably. 
and yes, the year has just started. And there are a lot more things to say about dinosaurs, but I think, looking back and knowing what I know now, that when I started Warhammer at the onset of 6th edition, if I had a choice of which army to pick, it would probably have been Lizardmen. Now, I did not know nearly enough about uh, Warhammer and all the different factions back then, and I have been uh, sort of guided by both what was available and what other people were playing, some advice from friends to playing orcs, and well, I, I don't regret that decision in the slightest, because orcs are a very fun army, I love them a lot. I am uh, definitely a little bit green on the inside, but I think if I were putting myself in that position, then um, young GJ at uh, I think about 15 years of age, and I were to make an informed decision about which army, I think probably my love for dinosaurs would have led me towards uh, playing Lizardman. Sadly, uh, Lizardman was already being played by one of my high school friends, so that wasn't an option. Um, this was uh, in the era right after 5th edition, where you had the 5th edition starter set. And uh, a couple of my friends bought two of those starter sets and they split them down the middle. One of them uh, got the Bretonians and the other one got the Lizardman. I have uh, fortunately been able to procure some of those models from back in the day. And not the ones that my friends have. Uh, as far as I know, they still have them. Well, I've lost touch with one of them. But the other one, I, I'm certain he still has them because I, I played them uh, not so too long ago. So in the 5th edition starter set, you had the Saurus Warriors and Skinks. And you pitted them against Bretonian Knights and Peasant Archers. Um... These, I think this 5th edition starter set is a little bit unique in that those were not fully playable armies. You did not have a general there. Of course, you could easily convert a Bretonian knight to be a hero or a general. Um, not so for the Lizardman because you do need a slan in 5th edition to be your general. In the other starter sets, uh, in the 4th edition starter set, you had the cardboard cutouts. And in the later starter sets, you also had uh, the option to make some heroes. 5th edition is, is also unique in that it does not have a story to go along with it. I know 6th edition also didn't have a story. 7th uh, and 8th edition did have a story. It was even published in, uh, in a novel. Uh, or, or a novella, I should probably say. But 5th edition, uh, it, it was just, you have these two random forces and just put them against each other. The only thing that you had to to link them up was in the terrain. At, well, this is of course my opinion. But in the uh, terrain you had, uh, the, the cardboard terrain that came with the box, you had a little poster of a source warrior uh, with in um, perfect Bretonian written beneath it, Le Lizard, the Lizard. And that's just like a wanted poster, something to say there are lizards here in this Bretonian village. Uh, 
because the uh, the two houses or the house and the shed and the tower they were definitely supposed to be uh, Bretonian or old world. So seeing all that as a beginning Warhammer player and actually my first introductionary game was with this fifth edition starter set at uh, at a friend of mine on his bedroom floor. We we pitted those forces against each other and. Um, I, I don't even remember which side I picked. Probably the Lizardman because of the uh, the interest in dinosaurs that I had that I also had back then. I do know I won that introductionary game, and it was just probably because he he let me win. I think that's something that's very common with introductionary games that you uh, let your opponent win, or or at least don't exploit their mistakes to. Make sure that uh, you have a good time. It certainly worked for me because I then got into Warhammer with Orcs and Goblins and later Tomb Kings. And much later, I added more armies until I have, uh, I think I have now all the different armies that are available, um, except for Chaos Dwarves and Kislev. Those are still on my wish list. And I'm really hoping that with the onset of the old world, when that ever drops, there are rumors that it will be this year, uh, but the year has just started, so we still don't know when it is. Uh, I hope that when the old world drops, we will get to see some of those models, uh, especially Kislev. We probably know it will, there will be Kislev. Uh, hopefully also Chaos Dwarfs will make a return. And I'm really hoping for the big hat Chaos Dwarfs. Uh, I, I like that 5th edition Mesopotamian style much more than the later grimdark, more generic Chaos Dwarf style. So if they don't do that, the route for me will probably have to be 3D prints or something like that. Uh, unless I get very lucky and I am able to score a Chaos Dwarf force for a reasonable about reasonable amount of money but i digress as is so often the case let's go to our stegadon section but before we do that let's dive into news and hobby i don't think really needs a hobby a hobby is supposed to pass the time not fill it i did absolutely nothing and it was everything that i thought it could be it's been a couple of weeks since I last shared some hobby progress. I think it might even be almost a month. So I've been doing a lot of stuff. Mostly it's been unleashing my inner beast. I am working to uh, paint most or even all of my beastmen for the Call of the Crown challenge number two. I've also been busy with that, but if you want to hear more about that, I'd suggest you visit the uh, Crown of Command podcast community group on Facebook or join the Crown of Command Discord. Um, and I also record some sections uh, once every month that Josh puts into his podcasts to give an update on how the Call of the Crown progress is going. As for me, for the last month, I painted, um, let me think, what did I paint again? I painted a lot of Ungor. I, I made uh, Ungrel Fourhorn, who doesn't have an official miniature. He is a, uh, well, what you had in, in 
7th edition, I think also in 8th edition, you had some heroes that you could buy, but they were only as part of an upgrade for a unit. So for the Beastman, for instance, you could get Ungrow Fourhorn as an upgrade for a unit of Ungors. And, and in the same way, you could get Goros Warhoof as an upgrade for a unit of Centagors. So these characters could not be on their own, but you could buy them as part of a unit. And what's fun is that they also came from your unit allotment and they don't take up extra slots in 7th edition or uh, hero or lord percentages in 8th edition. So I made Ungrow Forhorn, I made him from a regular plastic Ungor, tried to be as close to the lore and the book art as I could with the materials I have at hand. I painted up a unit of 20 Ungors with hand weapon and shield, another 10 Ungor raiders with bows, and I did a Saigor and a Gorgon. I had planned to do both of them for that month, for December that is, um, and fortunately I was able to, but that was only because I was missing some parts, I have magnetized both the Saigor and the Gorgon so I can have uh, one of each or uh, two of the same. I can just uh, take off the arms and, and put other arms on and same with the head and uh, the weapon options, stuff like that. Uh, but in order to do that I needed a face or a head and two little pieces that are that go on the flank when uh, I believe the Gorgon has four arms and the Saigor only has two. So you have to put two pieces of, of flesh in the sides and those two pieces plus the head I did not have a spare one of. Uh, fortunately a gamer in the UK was kind enough to gift me uh, those missing pieces and then I painted up the Gorgon slash Saigor in one sitting, in one evening. Uh, thanks to the airbrush and thanks to contrast paints and thanks to a lot of cutting corners, I was able to finish him in time for that month. Now for this month, for January, I've started on uh, Kazrak One-Eye with his puppy Redmaw. I have him accompanying um, some beast herds. I took out all the remaining gores that I had and uh, I had already made a beast herd before made of gores with additional hand weapons. So I counted how many of those I had and, and how many of the others I had left. And I sort of divvied them up so that now I can make when everything is painted either uh, three beast herds or two big units if you go with the 7th edition book of uh, 30 each of gores with additional hand weapons and another 30 gores with hand weapon and shield combination or maybe a little bit more with the command groups included. So uh, that's on my table at the moment. I have just finished. I'm in the process of touching up some of the um, Gores with the additional hand weapon. I have 22 of them. Uh, I did the two command groups. I had already painted the Ungors to go with them. Eight Ungors with spears times two. So uh, 16 Ungors. And then up next are the 
course, with hand weapon and shield, and then I also want to do some chaos hounds. So, uh, been very busy this month, and I I like the pace that I am able to put out here. Um, I'm not going to do a lot of fine detail painting. I will, of course, paint the details, and I will try not to mess it up. But I also know that these are not going to be units that are going to win any painting competition. So there's no need for me to be overly neat with them to paint them to a Golden Demon standard. Not that I can attain a Golden Demon standard. But there is something about getting these units done, make, allowing me to put them on the table that's also very satisfying. Uh, speaking of painting competitions, we have our War Games Orchard painting competition. In December we had only two entries and one of them was mine. Now I did not want to count my own entry in a painting competition that I'm organizing, so I uh, decided that I would lose this one by default, or to put it more positively, uh, Jörn won the painting competition by default. He has submitted Grimbo, the son of Grumbled. And Grimbo is a tree man, and the painting competition theme for December was Holiday Traditions. And these two tree men have a very lovely tradition of going out into the village, selecting a human, decorating him with all kinds of, uh, well, let's just call them Christmas baubles, and then after a couple of weeks, discarding them in a ditch. Uh, love the backstory there, Jörn, and congratulations on winning. Even if it is by default, a win is still a win. And if you also want to participate in our painting competition, you can because we have a new challenge, a new competition for January. And this is all about the January blues. You can, of course, make it as silly or serious as you want. Uh, I will try to stay to my theme of zombie pirates for the uh, December entry. I painted up a cannon called uh, uh, Ebenezer after the Christmas Carol, and the cannon was crewed by three zombies, uh, the zombie of, uh, I don't remember which names I gave them, but basically the zombie of Christmas present and Christmas past and Christmas future, uh, but then with names to do with cannon, so, so Christmas past was... Uh, I, I used the Empire term for that as well, the uh, Midwinter Feast... Uh, but let's just call it Christmas. Uh, Christmas past was Christmas blast because of the cannon blasting. And future became fuse. And uh, present was... Oh, presents, of course. Because each cannonball is a little present unto itself. Well, um, that's just an example of what you can do to make this uh, silly. The sillier the better, I would say. And I am looking forward to all your entries for this new challenge. Now, something we don't do too often is that we have a shout out on what's going on on the Wargames Orchard Facebook group. Uh, which is a bit of a shame because we have some very nice things going on there. And one of the things I want to mention is that we have a, uh, I believe she's a rather new member, Olivia. 
And Olivia is very busy, just like me, painting up a Beastman army. I think hers is of a much higher quality than mine. She posts the pictures on the group and uh, they are really inspiring. We also have some other people just sharing their work. Um, we have Carl Burks, for example, painting up a couple of miniatures from the... I think these are Oldhammer miniatures, but I'm not sure. There might even be uh, non-GW uh, two guys he's using as Empire Wizards. Um, I've seen uh, Jesse, who is very busy making some dwarf scenery. He's in the process of building a dwarf castle and a dwarf brewery, sending me some lovely pictures of that. And uh, let's see, there was also uh, someone, but I, I am terrible at names. Uh, I think it's uh, Thomas, but I'm not sure who is, uh, yeah, Thomas Wood, who uh, occasionally posts some Chaos Dwarf pictures of the stuff that he's working on. So, um, yeah, thanks everybody for, for your work, and I, this is going to be my New Year's resolution that I will uh, take a look at what's going on on the Facebook group before recording a podcast, and uh, if we have some nice new stuff to just uh, shout it out, and if I don't do that or forget that because that's the way that New Year's resolutions often go. Then please feel free to remind me that uh, I had made this promise. Speaking of promises and pledges and stuff like that, I completely forgot to mention that I have also been working on uh, some ogres um, as part of the call of the crown challenge i wanted to do not only have i set myself the goal of doing around seven and a half thousand points of beastmen i also wanted to do a thousand points of ogres and i wanted to do that in the most economic way possible which is uh, greaser's gold tooth and, well, no, it's not the most economic way because I could also add in Scrag the Slaughter and then be done with it. But I did Greaser's Gold Tooth and I wanted to do all the different man-eaters, uh, the different sculpts. Sadly, I have them all in fine cast, but, well, um, apart from being a pain in the butt to work with, uh, the painting of it is not so bad. So once you're done building them, then the rest proceeds as normal. So for December, I painted up the uh, Arabian Man-Eater, I think it was. I oh, know that was the one before, the Ninja Man-Eater. That's the one. So um, you have the, uh, the the one in rags. Well, you, everybody knows what a ninja is. Why am I describing a ninja? So the Ninja Man-Eater for December. And for January, I did the Baymaster Man-Eater. I actually started him... I think on New Year's Eve, uh, I had a couple of hours to paint on, on the, the last day of the year. And then I finished him uh, not too long after New Year. So he's uh, officially the first miniature I painted in 2023. I am also someone who likes to keep track of all the miniatures that I've painted over the year. And, and now I'm saying this off the top of my head, but I think in uh, 2020. To, 
I painted a total of 374 miniatures, uh, which is almost double what I did the year before. And um, the year before that, well, I, I am not really counting that because then I had, uh, I was suffering greatly from COVID and stuff like that. So that's, uh, I, I didn't have much time or energy to paint then. I'm glad to say that that has finally cleared up and um, that I can be back to my hobbies and I think also the use of contrast paints has greatly increased my output. If you're a bit lazy like I am and you don't care too much about getting stuff to a standard beyond putting it on the tabletop then I think that is great. But yeah, you do see the difference of just a single layer of contrast paint, which is what I usually do to get these beastmen done. Uh, or if you highlight it up from a base coat or do stuff like that, uh, there's a bit of a difference there. And um, I don't think you will see it from uh, three feet away on the tabletop. But if you look at the miniatures up close, then, well, maybe you should just not look at them too closely, just... Uh, from a distance, and my owner from a distance, I think that would be the best for uh, for my miniatures, at least. Right, that's going to be it for hobby. I don't think we have much news. There's nothing. There's not been anything announced about uh, Warhammer Fantasy stuff or the old worlds. I don't think we've had some made-to-order stuff for. Uh, for Warhammer apart from what we had last year what we already mentioned so yeah let's just go to the Stegadon and let's take a look at how the Stegadon evolved all the way from when it was introduced in 5th edition uh, through 6th and 7th and to its final incarnation in 8th edition. The Stegadon in 5th edition has a little bit of lore that I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to read all the lore from all the books because there is some overlap, but there is less overlap here between the editions than there is with some other entries in the army books. Uh, sometimes when you read something in the 6th edition army book, it's word for word the same as it is in the 7th edition army book. Or... Um, or, or an 8th or something like that. In this case, there are some more changes. So we will take a look at the lore of the Stegadon in 5th edition. The jungles of Lustria are home to a variety of huge, lumbering, primeval reptiles which have dwelt there since before the coming of the Old Ones. Stegadons are among the largest and most aggressive of these creatures. They feed on the lush vegetation and have powerful beak-like jaws capable of grinding up the trunks of vast forest trees or cracking the hard rock-like nuts. They use their horns to uproot whole trees before devouring them and can wallow in deep swamp relying on their thick scaly skin to protect them from predatory crocodiles and gigantic piranha fish. Stegodons often have several long horns projecting from their skull, as well as horns, spines or plates on their backs, flanks and tails. Their tails end in a spiny mole, with which they lash out at anything that tries to approach them from the side or behind. 
Since predators tend to stay well clear of these creatures, they use their natural weapons fighting each other in vicious fights over the hulks of fallen trees, often remaining locked in combat for days on end. They seem to be slightly more intelligent than the cold ones, and rather more active, probably because they live out under the hot sun. Lizardmen soon made attempts to harness these creatures as beasts of burden, especially for clearing dense jungle to build temples and for dragging huge stones. It was not long before they were used in battle, carrying crews of well-armed kings in massive bronze-clad howdahs on their huge broad backs. They soon proved their worth, crashing into dense masses of the foe, leaving immense danger damage in their wake. The Stegodon in 5th edition is herbivorous. It has a diet of plants. And when we look at later editions, we'll see that it not only eats plants, but it also eats meat. So it has gone from a plant eater to an omnivore. Which is something that uh, I found interesting, but it makes sense, especially when you get into that more grim dark. You want your beasties to be able to chew on on people's faces. Stegodons in fifth edition have a movement of six, web skill two, ballistic skill of zero, of course, because they are beasts. They have a strength of seven, toughness six, six wounds, initiative two. 5 attacks and a leadership of 6. They are crewed by skinks. I'm not going to read their stats because they are regular skinks. The skink crew of the Stegodon ride in a howdah mounted on its back. The crew are armed with hand weapons, spears, short bows, javelins and shields. Their javelins and arrows are poisoned and hits strike with a strength of 4. The Stegodon has a horny hide which gives it a basic armor save of 4+. It can never become worse than its 6+, due to modifiers from the attacker's strength. The skin crew have scaly skin which counts as light armor, this gives them a save of 6+, which can never be made worse by modifiers. And it refers here to the Saurus special rule. Then they are of course cold-blooded. All lizardmen are cold-blooded and naturally slow to react to psychology. If they react at all. Roll three dice when testing against leadership and choose the lowest two scores. The Stegodon may be armed with a giant bow. This shoots giant arrows which are actually javelins carried in great quivers on the howdah. The bow requires two crewmen to shoot it and has a range of 36 inches. The giant bow is shot in the shooting phase along with other missile weapons. Because the giant bow is mounted high upon the howdah, it can shoot over intervening troops, but not intervening terrain. It, well, it doesn't say that here, but I think it, it, you should make a judgment call. Like if there's a low wall or something, I think it should be able to shoot over that as well. Um, playing to the spirit of the rule instead of the letter here. Uh, apart from that, it needs a clear line of sight to the target, and you roll to hit with the cruise ballistic skill, which is 3 in the case of the skinks. If you score a hit, resolve damage at the full strength of 5, and then it works as a ball thrower. It penetrates with a strength of 4, and then 3, and well, minus 1 for each strength, for each rank. 
A model damaged by the giant bow suffers d3 wounds. The arrow is not as powerful as a ball from a ball thrower, so armor saving throws are allowed and are modified for strength of the hit as normal. The Stegodon has impact hits. In hand to hand combat, the Stegodon has three types of attacks attacks from the crew, attacks from the beast itself, and impact hits caused by the creature's horny spikes. When the Stegodon charges, it automatically causes d6 strength 5 hits from its horny spikes. These impact hits are inflicted first before any four from either side in combat, in the same way as impact hits from chariots. And you don't have to roll to hit, which is basically the same way as it works for chariots. There are some rules for shooting at the crew and for hand-to-hand -hand combat at the crew. You have to roll on a d6, also the same as with chariots. If you roll for shooting a 1-2, to two, you hit the howdah and the hit is disregarded. On a 3 to 5, you hit the Stegodon and you have to resolve it against the toughness of 6. And if you hit it on a 6, then a Skink will probably die because they only have a toughness of 2. In hand to hand combat, the table is uh, 1 on the Howda, 2 to 4 on the Stegodon, and 5 to 6 on the Skink crew. If all the crew in the Howda are slain, refer to the monster reaction table in the Warhammer rulebook to see what the Stegodon does. And the Stegodon causes fear, as described in the Warhammer rulebook. Now, in 5th edition, a Stegodon would come out of your... Uh, you might expect your monster allotment, but it comes out of your unit allotment. And the Stegodon is... Uh, let's see, where is it in the book? I just had it. There we go. A Stegodon and 4 skinks are 225 points. And you can have... Additional skinks for 6 points per skink. Now what is interesting here is that there is no upper limit as to the number of skinks. And I believe back in 5th edition there were some Lizardman players exploiting this rule. This is not something that I have been, um, been, been in contact with. Uh, there was sort of like a general agreement that you could not fit more skinks onto the Stegodon than you could actually glue on there. Um, there are some people who have been able to to make like a platform or something on it to give it uh, more skinks. You could basically just pay all the points you want and add a whole stack of skinks on there if you use the rules as written. Your Stegodon has a, uh, a few options here. You can have a magic standard attached to the Howdah. And in 5th edition, you have to remember that magic standards, you chose magic items by slots and not by points value. So there's no maximum points value here. And I believe one of the things that was often done was the Jaguar standard, which if I recall correctly, allows your Stegodon to move... Uh, or move a bit more, I believe an extra d6 inches or something like that. I, I should have looked this up, but uh, I believe that, that was one of those combinations where you had basically your Stegodon rocketing over the battlefield and uh, slamming into everything before your opponent had a time to react, something like that. Um, and the uh, Stegodon can have the giant bow, which costs 20 points. 
So if you have the stagnal with the bow, it comes also with two skinks. So the model of the Stegon 5th edition has uh, six skinks in the howdah. Two of them are working the bow and the rest are just standing there with all their different weapons and, and uh, shields and stuff like that. In 6th edition, the Stegadon is uh, part of the rare units that you can have. The other one is the uh, Salamanders, uh, not counting Dogs of War. 6th edition Stegadons are, starting with the points value, 235 points. And that is for one Stegadon with 5 crew. The Stegadon has a movement of 6 that remains unchanged, web skill 3. Its strength has dropped from 6 to 5. It still has a toughness of 6 and 5 wounds. Initiative 2. Attacks have dropped from 5 to 4 and leadership from 6 to 5. But it is fortunately still cold-blooded. The Skinks have hand weapons and javelins and uh, you can have also a character on there. If you don't have a character then it will have a giant bow manned by two of the Skink crew. So here you have a one Skink less in 6th edition than you had in 5th edition. I think it wouldn't be much of a problem if you used the 5th edition model in 6th edition, especially in early 6th edition and still have 6 skinks on there. You just basically counted it as being a uh, a beast with, with 5 crew even though there were 6 on there. Stegodons in 6th edition, uh, like I said, the lore doesn't change too much. Uh, there are some, some things worded a bit differently. They eat now the uh, flesh of any creature foolish enough to get in their way. Which is uh, I think a fun addition. They still have... The description is still basically the same. They have horns. They uh, uproot trees. Um, disputes between rival male stegodons can be heard for miles around. Their roars reverberating through the jungle as the massive beasts fight. Uh, some some extra additions here to what it was. In this edition, uh, this Stegadon has the following rules. It is now a ridden monster, which is a special uh, category in the Warhammer rulebook that it wasn't in fifth edition. What was it? Yeah, you still had to ridden a monster, but they were ridden monsters with characters, or at least monsters ridden by characters. So, uh, treat Stegodons as ridden monsters with more than one rider. If the Stegodon is killed, then the Skinks form a small unit of skirmishers. I think that's also something that should have been added in 5th edition. What happens when the Stegodon is killed? What happens then to the Skinks? Because you do get what happens if the Skinks are gone, but not if the Steggy itself is gone. If all the skinks are killed, the stegodon is treated like any other ridden monster that loses its rider. So you have to roll the monster reaction table. And for victory points purposes, only the stegodon itself counts unless it is ridden by a character. Slain non-character skinks are ignored. Stegodons have a 4 plus scaly skin save. Sadly it doesn't uh, go to that additional scaly skin 6 plus... Uh, unmodifiable 
but well it's it's it is what it is these kings have javelins and they count as poisoned attacks and attacks which require seven or more to hit cannot cause automatic wounds well that's um basically just a reminder here for you because uh, uh, poison works a little bit differently in sixth edition than it did in fifth i guess the uh, stegodon now no longer causes fear but it causes terror it is a large target it has a unit strength of eight regardless of how many riders or crew it has that's fun because with a unit strength of eight you can uh, negate um, rank bonus if you charge a stegodon in the flank the stegodon causes d6 plus one impact hits when it charges like a chariot and i'm assuming these are still resolved at strength five which is the strength of the stegodon itself the combined effect of the armored howdah shields and giant bony crest on the stegodon is to give the skinks or the character riding it a two plus armor save which cannot be improved in any way Though a character could have a ward save from a magic item, so suddenly your skinks are a little bit more protected. Skinks in the Howda carry a variety of weapons for the purposes of the game. Count these as hand weapons and javelins, and the javelins are poisoned. They may throw them in any direction. Many stegodons are taken to battle with a giant bow mounted on their back. The giant bow is fired with the skinks ballistic skill. It doesn't say here at this point in the profile, but I believe that Skinks still have a ballistic skill of 3. Let's check here real quick. Um, what's this then? Yeah, regular Skinks have a ballistic skill of 3, so that's... Uh, I was a bit distracted because the uh, Skink Champion, the Brave, has a ballistic skill of 4, and I couldn't spot the regular Skinks, which were, of course, directly above it. Um, so giant bow, uh, ballistic skill 3, strength 5, d3 wounds, and it can penetrate ranks in the same manner as a ball thrower, that's still the same from 5th edition. Uh, giant bow may shoot over normal size users and interponing terrain. It doesn't say here that the giant bow negates armor save or if it doesn't. And I think in 6th edition, ball throwers did not allow for armor save. But don't quote me on that. I'd have to look that up. So I think that it should be uh, strength 5 with, with regular armor saves. Although it doesn't say so. Uh, Stegonauts are stubborn. So that means that they uh, always roll on their unmodified leadership which is uh, five and i believe for the skinks it might be something similar yes yeah, skinks are also five uh, i think this comes in the place of cold blooded uh, is that is that the case here or is that one of those army specials uh, i only have a couple of lizardmen painted up and i only played them once in sixth edition so uh, please forgive me for not knowing all of the Lizardman rules by heart. Uh, let's see here. Army special rules. Cold-blooded. Uh, yeah, all Lizardman units, they still take three dice and choose the two lowest. So uh, they are not only cold-blooded, but also not only stubborn, but also cold-blooded. So you get to uh, 
have that unmodified leadership of five is still not very good but choosing the lowest of three dice at least gives you a chance and Stegodons are immune to panic. The towering Stegodons pay no attention to things that might frighten other creatures, plowing on towards the enemy without thought or care of what happens around it. Stegodons and any riders are immune to panic. Ignorance is bliss, is it not? You can have the Stegodon, uh, like I said, as a rare unit. It has all the rules that I just mentioned. But you can also have the Stegodon as a mount for your lord. Uh, no, not for your lord because there are no skink lords in this edition. There are skink heroes, skink chiefs. And uh, skink chiefs may write a Stegodon chosen as normal from the rare units section of the army list at the point, at the point cost shown there, replacing all the crew. So you pay 55 points for your skink chief. You might give him some weapons and then for 235 points uh, it replaces all the crew. You don't get the giant bow anymore but you do get a single skink on a Stegodon. Now there's of course also a, a special character that does basically the same thing. Mazda Mundi. Uh, was it Mazda Mundi? I think so. Who, who rides a Stegodon. I, what, what I sometimes do is include uh, special characters in this these episodes. But since we are already running a bit longer because of my long-winded introduction and uh, because Mazda Mundi only appears in some of the editions, I decided that we are going to save him for maybe when we talk about the slan or something like that. So let's move on to the next edition, which is 7th. In 7th edition, Stegodons get a little bit more lore. And the lore in 7th edition and in 8th edition, as is often the case, uh, sort of overlap. So I'm not going to read it here, but I will read out the lore in 8th edition. Stegodons are now split into two different categories. You have the regular Stegodons and you have the Stegodon Ancients, or Ancient Stegodons as they are called here. Stegodons and Stegodon Ancients... They have uh, similar stats. The Stegodon has a movement of 6, web skill 3, strength of 5, toughness 6, 5 wounds, initiative 2, 4 attacks and a leadership of 6. I believe it remains unchanged from what it was in 6th edition. And the Ancient Stegodon has 1 point of strength more and it has 1 initiative and 1 attack less. The Stegodons have the following special rules. They are cold-blooded, stubborn, they cause terror, they are a large target, they cause d6 plus 1 impact hits. That's all the same as it was in 6th edition. They are immune to psychology, uh, which is even better than immune to panic. And the Stegodon itself has a 4 plus scaly skin. They also have the rule Jungle Poisons, which is a new one, and I believe that's one of those rules that's also at the very front of the book, or somewhere near the front of the book, which is also, it's always a little bit difficult to say with 6th, 7th edi uh, edition, because the, the books are all over the place. 
Jungle Poisons says that all shooting attacks made by skinks with non-magical missile weapons benefit from the poisoned attack special rule as described in the main rulebook. I don't know why they made that into a special rule because well, you could just say skinks have poisoned weapons. But well, that's the case. Uh, rules for the Stegodon have not changed i believe since they, since what it was in sixth edition at least these rules i just mentioned the scaly skin is uh, improved to a three plus if you take a stegodon ancient they have the they still have the howda uh, stegodons may carry one giant bow into battle ancient stegodons carry two giant blowpipes howda weapons can be fired even if the beast moves but not if it marches it takes two crew to fire a giant bow, or one for each giant blowpipe, so two skinks can't throw javelins if the weapons are being fired. Remember that the stagon is a large target, so the crew may shoot over normal sized units. Giant blowpipes have a range of 12 inches, a strength of 3, they do 1 point of damage each and they are poisoned attacks, and each giant blowpipe fires 2d6 shots. Giant bows have a range of 36 inches, strength of 5, do d3 damage, and they have the special rules no armor saves allowed and also poisoned attacks, and they still penetrate ranks in the same way as the bolt thrower does. Stegonons and Stegonon Ancients have a crew of 5 skinks. If taken as a character mount, then one of the crew is replaced by the character, so no longer all of the crew. Stegonons of both types are treated as monstrous mounts with more than one rider, with the following additional rules. The crew may carry a variety of weapons, uh, carries a variety of weapons, I should say. For the purpose of the game, these count as hand weapons and javelins, though the same as what was in 6th edition. Missile hits and impact hits are randomized as follows, in a 1-4 is the beast, a 5 hits the crew and a 6 hits the character if there's a character, and if there's no character, then 5 or 6 hits the crew. Skin crew and characters riding Stegodon have a 3 plus armor save, so no longer a 2 plus. But if you ride a Stegodon Ancient, you get a 2 plus armor save, and these cannot be improved in any way. When you are fighting in close combat, attacking models may choose to direct uh, attacks at either a character if one is present, the mount, or the skin crew. When fighting in a challenge, the character and the mount may fight while the crew cannot attack at all until the challenge is over. If the mount is killed, then the skin crew are killed too as they are crushed beneath the falling body, so no more unit of skirmishing skinks. However, any character may continue to fight on foot if you have a model to represent him. If all the riders are killed, the beast is treated like any other rhythm monster that loses its rider. And only the beast itself counts for victory points unless it is ridden by a character. Regardless of how many riders or crew it has, a Stegodon or Ancient Stegodon always has a unit strength of 10. It is a little bit more than it was in 6th edition even. Now there are some upgrades that you can get for the Stegodon uh, or the Stegodon Ancient and that's the Engine of the Gods. An ancient Stegodon, taken as a monstrous mount by a skink priest, replaces its howda weapon with an engine of the gods. If the skink priest is alive, he may use the power of the engine in addition to casting any spells. Note that none of these effects may be dispelled, such as by dispel scrolls, etc. 
The Engine of the Gods can create one of the following effects. Choose at the beginning of each friendly magic phase. The first effect is the Arcane Configuration. Choose any one lore of magic from the Warhammer rulebook. All casting values for the spells from this lore are reduced by 1. This effect lasts until the beginning of the player's next magic phase. If you have multiple engines, you choose uh, each must choose a different lore. So I think this works both ways. So even if, uh, let's say, you have a skink with the Lore of Heavens and um, your opponent has an Empire Wizard with the Lore of Heavens, you both benefit from this rule. The Burning Alignment. All enemy units within 2d6 inches, even if engaged in close combat, they take d6 strength 4 hits with no armor saves allowed. Undead Demons and Forest Spirits take... Uh, d6 strength 5 hits with no armor saves allowed and uh, that's nice if you want to kill something or if you are threatened but the range is only 2d6 inches so um, if you are if there's something within 2d6 inches of you you are probably also already in combat but it doesn't say that you can't use this into combat so yeah, it might uh, give you a little bit of an edge there. And the last one is the Portent of Warding. All friendly units within 12 inches receive a 5 plus ward save from any ranged attack that originate from more than 12 inches from the engine. So you get uh, above all this uh, immediately conjures for me the image of the, uh, the Phantom Menace where you have those beasts slumbering about and they have their, those portable force field bubbles around them um, that except that now the beast is a Stegonon ancient in addition to all of these a skink priest that has taken the engine of the gods as a mount is counted as a wizard of one level higher for the purposes of generating power dice and dispel dice and for determining the maximum number of dice that he may use to cast a spell should the Ancient Stegonon be killed and the King Priest survives, this ceases to apply. So what are we talking about here in points values? Stegonons are now special units and they still cost 235 points. They have no other upgrades or anything except for uh, all the rules that I just mentioned. Stegodon Ancients cost 275 points and they also don't have any upgrades. If you take a Stegodon as a uh, as part of a uh, part of a hero, um, how do you say it, as a mount for a hero, uh, then you can have a, a Skink Priest or a Skink Chief. Both of them can have a uh, Stegodon or an Ancient Stegodon. No, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. The Skink Chief can have the Stegodon or the Ancient Stegodon for uh, basically the points cost that's listed in uh, the um, relevant sections. The Skink Priest can only have the Ancient Stegodon with the Engine of the Gods as a mount and that costs 290 points. And uh, if you are going to take a Skink Priest with that Engine of the Gods, you might as well upgrade him to a level 2 Wizard, thus generating an extra Dispel Dice, because he is then counted as level 3. 
But on the other hand, you might not even need that since you are playing Lizardman and you will probably have a slam Mage Priest anyway. Let's move on to the final iteration of the Stegadon. In the 8th edition Lizardman Army book, the Stegadon has some updated lore since uh, what we read out in 5th edition. So let's take a look at what the final iteration of the Stegadon is. Stegodons are mighty beasts that have dwelt within the primeval jungles since long before the coming of the Old Ones. They are bulky creatures whose heads are covered by armored crests, out of which project massive horns. With bony scales and spikes shielding their bodies, there are few predators that dare challenge them. Stegodons will feed upon almost anything they come across, devouring the lush vegetation or flesh of any creature foolish enough to get in their way. It takes great quantities of food to sustain such behemoths, and they grow so large and heavy that their footsteps have been known to split stone. Territorial and highly aggressive, Stegodons will charge any creature that includes intrudes upon their habitats. Other creatures stay well clear of these herds for fear of being trampled or gored. Even Illustrian Jungle appears to part for their formidable girth. Trees are smashed to splinters or swatted aside as the Stegodon stomps through even the densest foliage. It is said that only the only beast in all of Lustria that can make a Stegodon alter its course is the colossal Thunder Lizard, although a bull Stegodon sufficiently riled might well offer challenge, and its fury may even drive the enemy off. Since the earliest days, the Lizardmen have used Stegodons as beasts of burden to smash roadways through the jungle and to drag huge blocks of stone to build temples. They are also used for devastating shock attacks in times of war and to add serious fighting heft to far-ranging ground patrols. These creatures are, feared by, uh, are reared by teams of skinks who stay with them throughout their lifetimes and the Stegodons grow to become very protective of those skinks they have known since their days as hatchlings. Large howdas are attached to the beast's back, and from this protective vantage point, the skinks can hurl a storm of poison-tipped javelins in battle, and fire huge arrows from the mounted great bows known to the skinks as Sodek's Curse. On the attack, a Stegodon lowers its horned head and charges into combat. For all its awesome bulk, the Stegodon's short but powerful legs can drive it forward at such a pace that its momentum is nothing short of devastating. Foes not slain outright by the impacts of its charge are crushed to bloody pulps by its sheer bulk or speared upon the ends of one of the Stegodon's imposing spikes. Ancient Stegodons the other Stegodons have grown yet thicker heights and they are the strongest of their kind. Over the ages some of their fiery temper has cooled and as they often outlive their skin crews, they gradually become more accepting of new handlers. 
Each new team honors their beast and the Elder Stegodons are widely, widely venerated. Many crews will hammer bronze or gold plates covered with glyphs into their gnarled hide, more to mark the beast's status than to provide additional protection. Likewise, on the eldest of beasts, reinforced masks are set over the creature's head crest, and ornamental bracelets or sharp metal tips are commonly seen to cover its horns. Ancient stegodons frequently carry fearsome blowpipes in their fighting howdas. Each fires a cluster of darts that separates in flight to create a hail of poisoned death. It is for good reason that skinks name these fearsome weapons Sotex Sting. The most revered of ancient stegodons are judged to have sufficient strength and the right temperament to carry the archaic artifacts known as the Engine of the Gods. The Lizardmen if the Lizardmen had ever had the knowledge of how these ancient wonders worked, they lost it long ago. However, they do know how to activate them. When the glyphs are touched in the right order, the device thrums with arcane energies. The Engine of the Gods has mysterious powers that can protect nearby Lizardmen or send rays to smite their foes. Even the Winds of Magic can be better siphoned to aid the casting of spells in the presence of such potent apparatus. Only a handful of engines exist, and they are hidden away in temple vaults and only rarely brought forth. They often serve as war mounts for skink priests of great importance and are used to anchor a battle line. The first to utilize the engines of the gods was Tehen Hawin, the prophet of Zodek. At the height of the siege of Quetzal, Tehen Hawin led his disciples into the surrounding jungle. They returned three years later, the entire group riding upon ancient stegodons that bore engines of the gods and used them to destroy the Redmen. Since that time, the engines of the gods have been brought forth only when they are needed most, for each is an instrument of the Old One's powers, and the loss of a single one might irredeemably jeopardize the great plan of the Lizardmen's long-gone creator gods. What always strikes me in these descriptions is that the stakes are always a little bit higher than they are in the actual game itself. So um, here the engines of the gods are described as something that you would only bring to a battle in, in the utmost time of need. So only when you say uh, play a a very desperate last stand of, of raiders coming to uh, a Lizardman Temple City or if you are in a very large battle, say 10,000 points aside, you might expect based on the lore here to have one of these engines of the gods but the way that you can get them and the th of what they do you will probably see them a lot more often and the same is true for the way that the stegners are described uh, here as they might even occasionally challenge a thunder lizard and and even win the battle um what is a thunder lizard for those of you who don't know there was an article about this in white dwarf it's basically a model dinosaur, one of those plastic toy models that uh, my kids are playing with. And you put it on a large base and you surround it by uh, skinks and you have a slam 
hovering there to control it. Uh, that's a Thunder Lizard. It has its own rules. Um, might be nice to look into that at some point. Uh, I believe it was also in, in the uh, Chronicles or Annual, one of those uh, early 2000 supplementary books. Uh, the Thunder Lizards are basically something if you put it on the table, as far as I know, there is not really anything your opponent can do against it. If you come across a Thunder Lizard in your Warhammer battles, then it's not a a question of uh, will you lose, but it is a question of how soon will you lose. So um, this, this is just me talking from memory. I've never played with or against one of those. I would like to make one at some point, just because it would be nice to to take one of those dinosaur models and uh, make it into a Warhammer terrain piece, or maybe not even a terrain piece, but a Warhammer unit. Um, although probably it will still be it, it will be one of those one of those days projects. You know what I mean? Uh, you get materials, and uh, you get maybe an extra slan or some extra skinks, and then. At some point in the future, maybe, hopefully, you will be able to make a Thunder Lizard. Uh, that's going to be one of those things. Going back to the Stegodon. We have the Stegodon stat line from uh, 5th and 6th edition. No, not from 5th edition, but from 6th and 7th edition. That has remained unaltered, except that the leadership has gone back up from 5 to 6. Ancient Stegodons still have one extra strength and one less initiative and one less attack. Initiative 1, 3 attacks. And they also have leadership 6 in this edition. And the Skink Crews are just your regular Skinks. Uh, ballistic skill of 3, which is important for the missile weapons. These special rules are called Blooded, which is something that all the Lizardmen have. Uh, you... It still works the same. You uh, roll three dice and you take the lowest two. The uh, Stegodons are immune to psychology. They still have their d6 plus one impact hits. They are still a large target. They have a four plus scaly skin for the Stegodon only or a three plus scaly skin in the case of the Stegodon Ancient. And they are still stubborn and cause terror. The Howda crew this they, they still have their howdas and um the uh, let's see what it says here a monster with this rule with the rule howda crew is written by a number of skink crew the monster and his howda crew have their own characteristics but are treated as a single model the model always uses the movement characteristics of the monster and the monster and the skink crew use their own weapon skills strength initiative and attacks uh, when they attack, each can attack any opponent that the model is in base contact with. The crew use their own ballistic skill when making shooting attacks. All hits, of, uh, well, I can, I should hope that they use their own ballistic skill because Stegnos have a ballistic skill of zero. Uh, other than that, uh, the crew, uh, sorry, I already read that. All hits upon the model are resolved using the monster's toughness, wounds, and save. So what you see here is basically what you get for a chariot. The skin crew have no movement, no toughness, no wounds, and no leadership for themselves. 
Uh, either a Stegodon or a Stegodon Ancient can be taken as a Redden monster for a Skink Chief or Skink Priest who replaces one of the Skink crew. In this case, shooting attacks, and that's the same thing, on a d6 roll of 1 to 4 on the uh, monster and the character on a 5 to 6 as normal. Uh, that's odd. Don't you get the... Oh no, of course you don't get the Skinks because they are part of the monster itself. Right. Um, paying attention is not one of my New Year's resolutions, apparently. So, uh, when you have a, a, a skink hero or a skink priest in there, you get uh, you have to divide the shooting attacks, and on a 5 or 6 it hits the character, and if not, it hits the Stegodon itself. Uh, additionally, should the character be slain, there is no need to roll on the monster reaction table. So we are finally done with that monster reaction table. You have a giant bow for your equipment, which still works the same. Uh, 36 inches, strength 5, d3 multiple wounds, poisoned attacks. No armor saves allowed, and it says here if the giant bow rolls a 6 to hit, only the first model hit is wounded automatically. If that model is slain, then roll to wound the next as normal. So this still works as a bolt thrower. It says here it is a bolt thrower with the profile given below. Uh, and the 6 to hit, of course, has to do with the poison rule. If you roll a 6 to hit for poison, then it's only for the first model. And I'm glad that they clarified that. That wasn't even something that came up in my mind as to how this would work. But uh, I think if you if you look at the way that this giant bow is presented here, then you see all the way back in 5th edition, it had these ideas and these rules as this is how it is supposed to work. And... With every edition, progressively, the rules are becoming a little bit clearer and you get a little bit more of an idea of how this was meant to function in the first place. The giant blowpipe, uh, two giant blowpipes are fixed to the ancient Stegodon's Hauda. Instead of firing another metal weapon in the shooting phase, up to two skink crew may each fire a single giant blowpipe. Range of 18 inches, strength of 3. 2d6 multiple shots and poisoned attacks. The engine of the gods, it still seems to function in a similar way. Um, arcane configuration, if you have one or more engines of the gods, then uh, at the start of your magic phase select one of the 8 laws of battle magic and until the start of your next magic phase the casting value of the selected laws are reduced by 1 to a minimum of 3 it says here. Um, Burning Alignment is an innate bound spell, power level 3. It is a direct damage spell that targets every enemy unit within 46 inches. Ah, I'm glad that they listened to my commentary that I had uh, uh, 10 minutes ago about the 2d6 inches in 7th edition. Each target suffers d6 strength 4 hits with a flaming attack special rule distributed as for shooting, so no longer a strength 5 against demons and undead and forest spirits. Pond of warding, the ancient stegodons and all friendly units within 6 inches have a 6 plus ward save. That one is a little bit less effective now, but uh, please take note that it is no longer choose one of these at the uh, start of your magic phase. Or maybe I misread that. Was it all that the case? 
No, that was the case in 7th edition. You had to choose one of them and that would last for a, for a full turn. So now all of these three are in effect together, except that you have to spend a power die to do the 46-inch uh, damage bubble. Um, but I think with uh, with Lizardmen, with a magic-heavy army like Lizardmen, you could uh, probably have a power die to spare for that. Like more monsters in 8th edition, your Stegodon can have some upgrades. It can have the upgrade Unstoppable Stampede. A model with this upgrade has the Devastating Charge special rule. And it has the upgrade Sharpened Horns. And if you use this one, the impact hits have multiple wounds D3 as a special rule. And Devastating Charge, I, I had to look this one up myself, means that the model has plus one attack uh, when it charges into combat. Stegodons in 8th edition are, uh, you still get that, that division between regular Stegodons and Stegodon Ancients or Ancient Stegodons. For some reason I always say Stegodon Ancient, but I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's also a Treeman Ancient. Uh, but ancient stegodons, I should say, are rare units, and regular stegodons are uh, special units. A stegodon has gone down in points to 215, and it can have the unstoppable stampede rule for 10 points and the sharpened horns rule for 20 points. Stegodon ancients, ancient stegodons, have gone down in points costs to 230, and it has the uh, Unstoppable Stampede rule for uh, 10 points, the Sharpened Horns for 20 points, and you can take it as a mount for a chink skink... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Unless taken as a mount for a skink chief, it may replace its giant blowpipes with an engine of the gods. So you can even have an engine of the gods on this one if you don't take it as a mount for a skink priest. Skink Priests can have the uh, Ancient Stegodon with the Engine of the Gods rule upgrade for 280 points. Despite what it said in the earlier section in the Bestiary, it doesn't say here that you can have a Skink Priest on a regular Stegodon. A Skink Chief can be mounted on the Stegodon or the Stegodon Ancient, which can have the normal upgrades. That I think is going to be it for the Stegodons. Uh, there might be some rules that have been White Dwarf only or something that I am not aware of. If so, I do of course apologize. It's not that I am willingly withholding information from you, it's just that as a human being I have not had the time to learn every piece of Warhammer lore and rules by heart. There is one little blurb I want to end on, and this is also from the 8th edition army book. It's called The Thunderous Herds. Stegnons roam throughout Lustrian continent in herds ranging in size from a handful of related beasts to great migrations of many thousands. Some of these groupings have distinctive colors and markings, such as the tan-striped beasts that dominate the cracked earth of the Huawan deserts, or the great spotted stegodons that live in the hidden Guanji Valley. Most stegodons, however, vary in coloration. 
ranging from pale blue-grays to rich greens, browns and reds. As the bony plates that cover their, thick, their thick heights age, they become much harder as well as lighter in color. Young stegodons can be quite brightly colored and those within a few decades of having hatched are often heavily mottled or otherwise camouflaged. As monstrous reptiles grow older, they usually lose some of the contrasting patterns and become more evenly colored. This is not always the case, however, as shown by the brilliant diamond-backed patterns exhibited by some stegodons of the piranha swamps. Notorious beasts that can wallow in the deepest swamp channels where they lie hidden in ambush. All the stegodons, particularly the largest bulls, leave their herds and strike out on their own. Such rogues establish far-ranging territories and challenge any of their kind that dares trespass. These head-clashing bouts can last for days and flatten swathes of jungle. It is not unknown for striking and colorful markings to appear on the crests of these elder beasts, signaling that there are more they are the most powerful of their kind. Basically what this is saying is that whichever way with whichever pattern you want to paint up your stegodon, there is an excuse to do it. And if you look at the um, I'm, I'm pretty happy that they did that because in 5th edition uh, your skinks and your sources could basically be different colors. You, most of them were green, some are blue or more uh, of those uh, ocean, ocean green, ocean blue colors. Then in 6th edition it changed to all lizardmen are blue for some reason except for the uh, chameleon skinks which were still green. And now you have, you still have that for the skinks and for the sources, but you have these other lizards that can be other colors. And if you look at, for example, the uh, stegodons, you have uh, a lot of options there to make it really your own, uh, your own pattern. You don't have to go box art or something for, for whatever reason. And I think that the the way that they did this is, uh, uh, if, if, if I just look at those larger army pictures, those are always the ones that I enjoy the most of all the artwork in the army books. Then you have this mass of blue and turquoise for the skinks and the sources. And then you have the larger animals stand out because they are gray or red or... Um, the uh, the cold ones they have painted green, so you got blue sources on uh, green cold ones there. Uh, you got some yellow in the feathers of the skink priests. Um, that's a, a great way, I think, how they did this to unify the army and to um, also make all the important pieces, all the center pieces, stand out. However. It also limits you uh, in your creativity. So I never like it when they do that, when they say all sources are blue. Um, I think you can do it with, with things like orcs. Orcs are green. That's that's the way orcs are. Uh, of course, humans and elves and dwarves have, have flesh tones. But 
other than that, um, you don't want your fantasy creatures to be limited in such a way. Uh, although, on the other hand, it also makes sense to have some color variations that have in-game significance, such as... Uh, well, of course, you have for the Lizardmen all the different... Um, blessings that they can have and the blessings are denoted by colors uh, like for example the color of the crest or the color of their their scales or their skin and it also makes sense for example for the skaven that you have your clan reds are brown and you have uh, the gray seers are, are uh, more gray and you have the, the storm vermin and they have black fur uh, that has a place in its society I just I think there are some times that you can do that and sometimes that you maybe shouldn't. And I think that the blue for the sources for Lizardman is one of the times that they shouldn't have done that. Um, so something like this, this Stegadon blurb where all the different colors are represented and, and, and all patterns and just giving you some, some, not even tips and advice, but maybe it's just some ideas of what you can do with this model uh, i think that's a really great thing and that's what i want to end on and on a positive note here thank you all very much for listening to me rambling on for almost an hour and a half now and i wish you all a very great week and i hope we will see each other again next time thanks for listening you can connect with us on instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.